1: It's time for another edition of The Brett Allen Show. It's go time, you and me! Join us weekly for the latest pop culture interviews from your favorite TV shows, movies, comedians, and so much more. Yeah, I'm gonna to lie to you felt so good. Plus, you
0: never know who will drop by.
1: What happened here was a miracle. Now, here is your host. I said throw down, boy. Welcome to tonight's nice, main event, Brett Allen
0: Episode of the Brett Allen Show, and today we are chatting with the iconic voice actor Bill Ratner. You know him well growing up. If you watched G.I. Joe in the 80s, you would definitely know him as uh, the voice of Flint, Uh, but also he has many, many other credits to his name Mass Effect, uh, Grand Theft Auto, Final Fantasy. Uh, I mean, he's showing us his shirt there. I mean, just so many different things. Thank you for your time today, Bill. It's a pleasure to chat with you.
1: You bet, Brad. Good to be on your show.
0: Well, this is very exciting because we have a lot to talk about. Now, I understand. Um, I don't know how far along you are with this, but uh, I mean, you do a lot of things. You you do poetry, uh, you do voice acting, uh, but also... You have an upcoming memoir, which will delve into the many facets of your life and career. I know the release date is to be announced, but what can you tell us about it and what can the fans expect? Because I'm sure a lot of your fans would really are just excited about what's coming down the pike.
1: Well, it, it, it's funny, Brad. I, I actually got approached by an outfit called freezeraypoetry.com. That's freezeraypoetry.com. That uh, was putting out an anthology of uh, poems and flash fiction dealing with a Marvel universe. Okay. And I thought, okay, well, what does that have to do with G.I. Joe? Uh, because uh, uh, they contacted me, uh, you know, because of my connection with G.I. Joe as Flint. And um, I was reminded that um, the uh, G.I. Joe comic books were commissioned by Hasbro uh, to be done by Marvel. And this was in advance of Transformers and G.I. Joe coming out in syndication on TV. And at the time, um, the FCC did not allow uh, television commercials for action figures that were in the actual show in which the spot would be aired. So in other words, on Barbie's uh, Saturday afternoon show, you couldn't advertise a Barbie doll in a commercial. Or you couldn't advertise Flint or Lady J or Cobra Commander in, in um, G.I. Joe. Um, President Reagan at the time, who was pro-business and didn't care so much about regulations, said, oh, this is ridiculous, we've got to change this. Um, but the way around it for Hasbro was to go to Marvel and say, listen, uh, you've got to make some comic books that look exactly like our animation for the new series, G.I. Joe. All-American hero. And so Marvel came out with this, this really gorgeous array uh, illustrated by the great, uh, legendary, still-living Larry Hama. A beautiful comic books that are collector's editions that all Joe fans probably own some of. And um, so that was, that was the connection. And uh, I wrote a piece, kind of a silly poem, flash fiction piece, about standing in line and auditioning for G.I. Joe. Uh, Back in 1983, at the Wally Burr Studios in Studio City, California. And um, it was really fun to write about it. It brought back memories, and um, I really never thought of myself as a writer. I thought of myself as a voice actor. And so I started writing. I started writing short pieces for The Moth and The Moth Radio Hour and shows like that, and uh, went on stage live for a number of years doing these short pieces. And um, a lot of them are personal, people get up on stage and do personal stories that are sometimes sad, sometimes funny, sometimes about comic books, and um, that's how I got into it. And um, my childhood was a little unusual, and I was a very lucky middle class kid. My dad was in advertising and uh, was on TV a lot talking about advertising and marketing and so on in local television shows in Minneapolis but um, died when I was 13 in the same year that my brother died and my mother had died when I was young. And so people said, hey, you're a writer. you got a story to tell. And so uh, and I started getting pieces published about that as well as about the Marvel Universe. So that's what's coming up called Announcing the Apocalypse by Bill Rutner. In the meantime, at every fine bookstore, it's the fear of fish. Yes, me when I was six years old sucking my thumb, which was... I was very good at at age six. Um, (laughs) These days I'm more into Cuban cigars. And um, I like that. This is, these are actual, uh, I think the GI poem, GI Joe poem is in one of these, but it got a cut. These are both from Southern publishers. One uh, finishing line press in Georgetown, Kentucky, and the other alien Buddha press in Spartanburg, South Carolina, the poetry and flash fiction press world is interesting. These small family owned, publishing companies that usually say no sometimes say yes and uh anyway that's that's a long-winded answer to your question brent
0: that's okay now those two books i find very fascinating um if i or our listeners wanted to get a copy um outside of like say a comic-con or we might meet you where can we get one or where could I get one?
1: <laughs> you, can actually, you can actually go on the publisher sites or easier. Of course is, is uh, Mr. Bezos Amazon um, to, to order. Uh, you can either put in my name, bill Ratner, amazon.com or fear of fish and bill Ratner, and it'll come up and you can order it through Amazon or you can order it through B Dalton. Uh, and same with to decorate a casket. Um, Which is uh, funny poems and serious poems, and uh, uh, we're not talking about rhyming poems and old-fashioned stuff that you hated when you were in sixth grade. (laughs) uh, Poetry today has actually gotten kind of fun and challenging and interesting. And uh, The the memoir, of course, is going to be, and is, you know, portions of it have been published already as prose. But that's uh, Google and Amazon Bill Ratner near you.
0: I love it. Yeah. I remember being in grade school and Shell Silverstein was kind of like the hot thing at the time. Yeah, uh, right? In fact, you had to be at a certain reading level to even read those books. Um, so I thank you to my third and fourth grade teachers for uh, inspiring my interest to read. I, this is very interesting. I want to circle back a little bit because you said something interesting that got my attention. And I just want to make sure I heard you and clarified. So G.I. Joe, at one point was owned by marvel or no, Marv- marvel- no look, okay.
1: it was always a hasbro okay um, uh, franchise and it was very very successful with the 11 and a half inch character gi joe gi joe originally was a world war ii figure yes uh, uh drawn by comic book artists and by editorial artists in the newspapers during and after world war ii and um Hasbro came up with the uh, the, the action figure, uh, the answer to Mattel's Barbie, since Barbie was making Mattel a multi-billion dollar uh, corporation. Yeah.
0: That's tough. An and Hasbro
1: that. did toys and so on. And they came up with G.I. Joe. Um, and, um, and And he did well until the Vietnam War in the 70s had worn on for way too many years. And Americans who were buying toys for their kids got tired of buying G.I. Joe. And uh, George Lucas came out with Star Wars uh, right around uh, 76,77, right? And uh, not 11 and a half inch action figures, but three inch action figures, three and a half inches, made in China, cheap, where the arms moved and the head the head turned, and that was about it. And um, So Hasbro said, we're, "We're losing money. Our stock is in the toilet. Uh, it's the 80s now. George Lucas is a billionaire. What do we do? And somebody in the uh, merchandising department says, uh, let's do what Lucas did. Shrink him down. Don't sell the big G.I. Joe and and uh, clone him. Make the Joe team. Well, how do we sell the Joe team? Nobody cares about G.I. Joe anymore. And so they created the six episode um, miniseries with Flint and Lady J and Duke and Scarlet and Cobra Commander and Destro, etc., Um, and they, then they said, well, we have to let the public know in a way that's reasonably priced. We're not going to be running class A commercials on CBS and NBC. (laughs) Um, so Hasbro executives went to Marvel and said, you guys make comic books. Would you be willing to make a limited series of GI Joe comic books? Wow. Joe team comic books. And again, this is the early 80s. And Marvel said, yeah, we can make some money off it. And uh, you know, you, why don't you subsidize it? And, and uh, maybe you can pay for a run of them, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hasbro. And um, so that's what was done. And again, the great the great comic book illustrator, Larry Hama, uh, illustrated those, those uh, initial G.I. Joe comic books. There were G.I. Joe comic books in the uh, early 70s, 60s, and I think even back in the 50s, uh, when the when, uh, American troops were fighting in Korea. And at the time, that G.I. Joe was this angry looking guy with a, you know, six-day growth of beard and a big square jaw, like oh. Dick Tracy, who, I, 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 I love to shoot out his gun. And, um, but uh, this is the Joe team, which included women, and included, uh, you know, figures from all over the world. And. You know, different different ethnicities, etc., and um, so the, with the lead of the Marvel comic books, um, and then television commercials advertising not GI Joe the show but GI Joe the comic book, which looked exactly like the show. Wow! So it was a brilliant marketing ploy uh, on the part of Hasbro. With the aid of Marvel's comic books, same illustrations. Oh, love, oh, daddy, that comic book looks just like the television show for the for the G, new GI Joe. Um, I don't know how Transformers handled it. I wasn't as involved. I played just in one episode of Transformers as Flint's father.
0: Yeah, uh, I remember that when they did the crossover.
1: The, yeah,
0: yeah, interesting. Wow, this is all fascinating um and now we know and knowing is half the battle right
1: yes Uh, now you know and knowing is half the battle
0: interesting so this world of gi joe i mean you've done many projects past and current um i know robot chicken has used you uh dozens of times which i think is just cool um i have talked with the robot chicken team on other projects they've done crossing swords. I don't know if you saw it on Hulu, the little, uh, black figure people. It's basically an adult version of
1: was it. Was that a Seth green production? Yeah, it
0: was. Yeah. John Harvard and all those guys. Um, but anyway, we talked a little bit about that, just kind of the world's crossing and stuff, but GI Joe has, this whole thing has stood the test of time. Um, there's been live action films, all of that. But I'm curious, how did, I I know as a voice actor, you audition and there are all these different things, but how did this role come about for you, voicing Flint, you know, and sort of where were you at in the trajectory of your career when this came out? And was this, it's kind of a two-pronged question, but was this really like kind of the biggest thing you had done at the time or you had done many other things and this was just sort of, something that was pretty front-facing.
1: Well, you know, Brett, apropos of what we were just talking about, which was, you know, the brilliant and very complex and very expensive launch of, of G.I. Joe, all-American hero the TV show, and really pretty much at the same time as Transformers as well, so parallel universes in terms of marketing, um, no, they'd kept it very secret. That's so true. none of us as voice actors or any of the agents Uh, knew what was going on at Hasbro. And all of a sudden, the agents get a call for every old television character actor from the 50s and 60s, (laughs) come and audition for, literally, come and audition for voices on G.I. Joe and Transformers. Every voice actor in town. Uh, I showed up in Studio City, near Universal, at a little recording studio named Wally Burr Recording uh, on uh, Ventura Boulevard. And there were over a hundred people lined up on a nice warm Southern California day uh, with, with single sheets of black and white Xeroxes of roughly drawn characters from the new this brand new Joe team. And we're sort of looking at each other, going, With Joe Team? I remember G.I. Joe, I was a little too old to own one, but my nephew had one. But what's the Joe Team? And in front of me was Mary McDonnell Lewis going, Yo Joe, yo Joe. I said, what are you doing? Well, I'm Lady J. I'm supposed to scream yo Joe. And, um, so we, we, uh, you know, looked at our lines and I, I, I happen to be, uh, given the, the page for Flint. They may have listened. They may, the, the, uh, the showrunners and the, and the writers of the show, um, G.I. Joe may have listened to voice demos and picked certain individuals, but, you know, they auditioned literally hundreds of us, which is very unusual. Um, you know, you've heard of that, you know, which we looked for this child for, for two years and finally found.
0: I know. I- it's like we spent five years right, looking right, right. to cast the lead of this independent film. It's like, wow.
1: Yeah. And for, for this, they spent <laughs> one, day, one day, but it was a long day. Yeah. And um, (laughs) so when you know, when our when my turn was called, I climbed up the wooden stairs and into the little dark, moody, lit uh, voiceover booth. And on the other side of the glass was a dozen people, executives, marketing executives from Hasbro and uh, Wally Burr, the director. Uh, who owned the studio and had been hired by, by Hasbro to do these auditions, Sunbow Productions, which did the actual physical production of the show. And um, so Wally goes, all right, give me a level. All right, Lady J, you get your battle gear on. All right, good, good. Make it a little louder. Uh, he's, uh, you can see from the picture, he's got big pectorals. Uh, he's got a you know, a black beret, uh, special forces. Name's Flint. All right, take one, go. All right, Lady J, you better get your battle gear on because Cobra's on their way and I can't bring up the laser threat weapon system. Yo, Joe! And um, yeah, yeah, it's good, says Wally Burr in front of all the Hasbro executives. Uh, But, you know, make it angrier, make it louder. I take two. And that was it. So I, okay, okay, thank you. And, you know, walked out of there. Next. And this went on, you know, probably 150 times that day with, with actors young and old. And literally, I recognized guys I had seen in the 50s on The Virginian Gun Smoke, Have Gun Will Travel. Wow. Because they were, they were looking for young and old, male and female, uh, white, black, Asian, Native American. Uh, they were looking for every kind of actor in Hollywood to play characters in G.I. Joe hoping that the six-episode miniseries would sell and then they could produce a series. So it was really dependent on the excellence of the animation and so on. And at that point, to answer your question in my career, um, I'd been been, – I was in radio at the time doing a morning show, KBIG, K-B-I-G, literally, uh, FM 104.3 in L.A., And um, with a newsman and he and I would do funny stuff and play, uh, you know, Lionel Richie. That was Lionel Richie doing a Rolling Stones song and um, auditioning for and doing, you know, radio commercials for banks and and that kind of stuff. And I had done, you know, a few cartoons. I'd been at Hanna-Barbera doing character stuff. But I had no idea what this G.I. Joe thing was, except there were a bunch of people auditioning. And I thought, oh, great. Well, snowball's chance in hell. And weeks went by, I completely forgot about it because I had, again, I had no idea as to the scope of this thing. And maybe maybe two, three weeks later, I get a call from an agent. Remember that G.I. Joe thing? You got it. Got what? Flint. You're Flint. Oh, the, oh, the character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you're booked uh, next Thursday via Wally Burr Studios, same place. Uh, you know, Thursday at 10 o'clock in the morning. So I show up, and there is Mary McDonnell Lewis, Lady J, and there is Michael Bell as as Duke, and on and on. And I think there are about eight of us at eight microphones lined up in this in this uh, voiceover studio. You know, you, you, everybody has seen uh, either either photographs or videos of voiceover studios, or same thing as a rock and roll you know studio. They're exactly the same studios, only they take the drums out and put the voice actors in, and. Um, a young woman comes out, passes out the scripts. And so we have no idea. Are we doing one episode? Is this a special? And she said, um, I'm supposed to tell you that no one dies in GI Joe. (laughs) And and we we, we look at each other. She's the classic Hollywood script girl. They called her, you know, the young woman who's maybe a college student or maybe, you know, just graduated. Intern or something, you know, that's intern. Right. Right. And, um, and we looked at each other, we mean nobody dies in G.I. Joe. Half the gas is gonna die. No, because parent groups, apparently like the national PTA and church groups, oh yeah, I'm sure wind of Hasbro's and Sunbo's plans, and said, We are not gonna let our children watch a war cartoon. We're sick of the Vietnam War, la. Blah, 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 blah. And um, so you'll remember, Joe fans will remember that no one really does die. When Cobra's shot down out of the sky, oh. he par- he parachutes over the horizon just gently to his end. You know? And um, uh, and then she says, "True story." I'm also supposed to tell you that if uh, you're interested, uh, you should buy Hasbro stock, but uh, don't wait. And again, we look <laughs> at each other and go, oh, What is this? Are there? This is." Are we cast as voice actors? Or are they just trying to? Is this a pyramid scheme? We should have listened. That day, I, I think in 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 middle to late 1983, uh, Hasbro stock was worth X dollars a share. I don't remember the exact figure. Had I spent a hundred bucks that week or that month on Hasbro stock and waited for two years for two seasons of GI Joe and Transformers, my hundred dollars would have been worth about eleven hundred. Silly me! So th- th- that was that was kind of their version of almost insider trading. And yeah. do a favor. The cast is not going to make a dime off any of the action figures. They're just going to make their you know eight hundred bucks for a session, for a, you know for an episode. So give them a hint. Tell them to buy some stock. We think it's going to be successful and go up. Darn!
0: Unbelievable. I mean, well, even eight hundred for a session then was really good. I'm very curious. I have a couple more questions here. Um, So time has marched on you. As I mentioned, this world of GI Joe has continued on and on. You've done other projects. Of course we mentioned, I'm interested to get your perspective briefly here. As far as like, you know, we talk in the eighties, you're going down to a studio and you're recording now in the, this generation, not even talking about COVID or whatever, just, period. Do you do your most of your work from a home studio now, or do you still travel to audition? How, how does that work for you, Bill?
1: Um, yeah, the answer is yes. Uh, let's see. I'm going to, I'm going to Google here. Uh, Seth MacFarlane family guy. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember, I think um, yeah, I've had my studio for maybe 30 years. But a studio these days can consist of an iPad and a decent microphone. Yeah. Decent, meaning you got to spend four or five hundred bucks. You can't use a snowball mic and a closet. As long as there are enough clothes in there to absorb the sound. Um, It used to be the studios we went to in the the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, post-production facility that did sound for everything from NBC to MSNBC to the movies, and um, charged anywhere from 750 to 1250 bucks an hour for. Uh, they had, you know, millions of dollars worth of equipment. I think um, I, I was doing the Hyundai campaign a few years ago. Jeff Bridges was doing the Nationals. I was doing the, the local tags and visit Louisville Hyundai for your special deal. Put my daughters through college. And, but I had, I was doing a, a, I was studying in college just purely for the heck of it. I was taking an MFA in creative writing, a low residency, at University of California, uh, Palm Desert. And wow. 10 days every six months, I had to go to the desert, stay in a glorified motel and go to class. But I didn't want to give up the gig. So I brought my stuff out there. And I thought, what am I going to do? This horrible motel room is echoey. I took all six bed pillows put them on the desk against the wall, grabbed a huge cushion from the couch, put it in the corner, and aimed myself towards the cushion and the pillows. And then they dialed me up uh, on, on my laptop. And the mixer uh, from the recording studio in Orange County, California, uh, for Hyundai, was a pro. He'd worked with me for a couple of years and, and said, hey, raise the level just a little bit. Don't give me any EQ. I'll do it here so he knew what he was doing. He had a good sp- pair of ears. And he said to me, as I'm sitting nervously this first day of, of, of uh, my stay in this glorified motel room, are you in a different studio, he asks? "Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm in a different <laughs> studio. I didn't say oh, I'm really sorry. I'm in a crappy motel room. And he goes, oh, good. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, sounds good. And I went, oh. And then he said, it's funny, it actually sounds... Uh, better than your normal studio. Wow. And I mean, wait a minute. I've invested thousands, not tens of thousands, but thousands of dollars, you know, a, an eight hundred dollar phone patch amp and a and a beautiful twelve hundred dollar microphone preamp and 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 uh, you know a, a four thousand dollar ISDN box and, you know, and on and on and on. And, you know, the booth itself cost a couple grand. Um certainly not millions. I thought all that, all the effort, all the sweat equity, and I sound better in a cheap motel room. It's, <laughs> it's the pillows and the cu- and the couch cushion. So wow, um, this is a, again a long winded answer to your question.
0: About, no, I, I uh, love it. I mean, I have this microphone here and the Electro Voice, you know, which is broadcast quality mic, and yeah. I mean, you can just do anything from home these days. Well, this is just absolutely fascinating um i really appreciate your time i I think if anybody's watching and listening and you're a kid of the 80s and you love gi joe um this is for you this is a love letter to you if you have never seen it and you're in a lower demographic literally you can go on to youtube google any of these places uh and check out all the amazing work uh that bill has been a part of and uh yeah, I mean, it would be great to see the GI Joe cartoons kind of make their way back again and and kind they're of They're
1: on them. Hulu. Actually, uh there's there's still you can download uh, GI Joe and Transformers cartoons, the whole uh, both seasons of GI Joe 52 episodes and Transformers from Hulu.
0: There you have it. Well, Bill Ratner, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. It's been quite the pleasure chatting
1: with you great brett the brett allen show ladies and gentlemen on a streaming device near you thanks for listening and being a part of today's conversation thank you if you enjoyed today's episode please consider sharing it with a friend it's absolutely free a major proportion the views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host and remember we care